All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. I don't think it's into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 97 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. I'm your host today, Julian Gill, admin on the FAQ message board. And joining me are and uh, they're gonna have to speak up because we got several guests on today and i don't know who's gonna appear on camera first so lonnie st louis kiss hello um ken 69 blizzard marcus almighty mark hey hey what's going on and uh cat girl alive cat man <laughs> i'm back hey, i'm back hey you sexy beast um alive cat man andrew so good to see you um Let's just go through the news quickly. People are surviving and getting back from the cruise. Obviously, there is a hell of a lot of really freaking cool YouTube footage up there right now and hopefully more to follow from the two shows. Um, I think everything that I've read, because I filter out all the negative shit, um, has been very positive about what they did while they were there. Paul pulled out a very old song again in his acoustic set, one dating from, I think, 76, called So Long. He did Mistake, Every Time I Look at You. Um, he declined to play Bang Bang You on the 12-string acoustic for some reason. You know, Can't imagine why. He's a smart man. Um, the Creature stuff looked absolutely fantastic, um, to my way of thinking. Absolutely loved it. He And, and I said, he, there's no way he's going to do Danger or Keep Me Coming, because... And he freaking knocked it out of the park on Keep Me Coming. And Gene equally knocked it out of the park on Rock and uh, Rock and Roll Hell. Perfect. So we'll be doing a recap on that show. Uh, get on YouTube. Check out some of that stuff. It is it is really cool. Paul's also announced some February dates for Soul Station for people who uh, swing that way. Um, other news? No, I, I saw the uh, one of the first clips. That I, I saw a Creatures clip from the cruise. And they used the old logo on the, uh, the screen yes. behind that's right. And I nearly creamed my pants unassisted when I saw that logo. I was like, finally, wow, wow, finally. Wow. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. I mean, you guys know, if anybody's seen Kiss the last couple of years, they they have the logo on the screen. So why didn't they do that sooner? Best thing they ever did, in my opinion. Yeah. Now they could just do the Asylum logo that way in the back. You know. It, it was up there. It was up there. There's a picture Kiss from the Crew Seven Asylum. Mm. Yeah, they did. Uh, oh no. <laughs> Asylum on the sea. Make get Julian to go. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. I don't I don't know if that would do it. Sorry. But, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, g- getting back to that, you know, everything that's coming out, all the reports, the I was an idiot and bought a, a copy of the 12-inch vinyl today uh on eBay. I could I had to have it. Um of course you did. I'm trying to find a copy of it. Yeah, I spent a little bit more than mom probably would have appreciated me spending on mm-hmm. on, on something that I'm not even going to play. But I think the, they're throwing in a set of picks and a couple of picks from the show. So, uh, yeah, that'll increase its value. And who knows, I'll probably sell it at the LA Expo anyway. So, um, All right, so let's get into today's topic. And we're into November. And when you think about Kiss in November, usually you think about that bad boy. Or smashes, thrashes, and hits if you're a sadist. Um, but we're celebrating the anniversary of what many think is the band's best studio album. Um, repeatedly, when we talk about Rock and Roll Over on this show, it comes up as a personal favorite, either 
at the top or very near the top of people's personal studio album rankings. For me, it is my all-time favorite Kiss studio album. Um, just, it's absolute perfection. And it turned 40 on the 1st of November. We're on the, we're coming up to the 11th, which many people think the 11th of is its birthday. And that comes from a old memo internal at uh, Casablanca. Someone was asked to provide a list of the release dates of all the Kiss albums, and they put together this list. And I, I don't have a copy of it to, to hand. It's filed away. But um, they, they provided it and said that it was the 11th. So that's the date I still have listed on the uh, Kiss Monster um, listing for the website. Kiss Alive Forever, of course, has it correct. Copyright documentation, which I'm looking at right now, has it as November the 1st. But... What the hell does it matter? It's a November album. It's just turned 40. Um, so let's get into this topic, gentlemen. And, you know, I, I guess the first one to recap, and we've probably gone through it before, is, you know, where it fits into your personal KISS experience. So, uh, Andrew, since you're looking so pensive, let's get over to you on that one. <laughs> I was actually quiet for once. <laughs> uh, like you said, my very favorite KISS album. This is one of the albums that I remember as a kid listening to from beginning to end and not having to skip. You know, any songs, not to say that there are albums that I dislike songs on. This is just one of the first ones I could play from, you know, beginning to end. Because let's face it, when you put on Crazy Nights, you're skipping more than half that album. But, uh, but you're no, you're not it, putting on Crazy Nights. <laughs> well, yeah, or you're not even putting on. But, <laughs> but no, it was one of those albums that the album cover to me was always the thing that drew me in. So I brought out my copy of the, the LP, which, you know, there it is right there. Um, and it was just the, the artwork drew me in. And even when I first became a fan by watching Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, that's the first thing you saw on the screen. You saw the spinning album cover. And when you're a kid, you don't know. You're like, what's this? And then you see it as an album cover. You're like, oh, my God, it's so cool. So, you know, we'll get into it later, what all the things that happened with the album, because there's so much cool history that went on with this album. But, uh, yeah, top top album, hands down. Before I go to anyone else, I have a question specifically for you. And as a drummer in Mr. Speed. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite song off this album to play live? Mm. It's easy. I want you. And not the well the Peter the way that Peter played it with that little shuffle pattern on the ride too was cool, but um I always liked how Eric Singer played it on the Revenge Tour and then later on. So, uh yeah, I want you is probably the the best song to play. Uh, or my favorites on the planet, but you know, I still love you know the live versions of a lot of the songs. The live version of "Ladies Room," the live version of "Calling Doctor Love," which wasn't played until the Love Gun tour. But uh, but yeah, I want you. Nice, Mark. Let's get over to Canada and uh, get into you know where this fits into your personal catalog of Kiss songs, uh, Kiss albums. Pardon me. Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious for me. It's Numero Uno as well. Uh, my favorite. Kiss album, and much like Andrew, it's for a lot of similar reasons. Uh, probably one of the first records again that didn't have to, you know, uh, fast forward through anything or skip anything. Every song on it is fantastic, and uh, not to start any kind of drama again, but after the stink bomb of Destroyer, this was a welcome, uh, a welcome relief to have on the turntable to listen to. So I, I've always loved this. And I mean, like I said, my first introduction to this was actually in Portugal when I was on tour with my band years and years ago. And I found, like I said, one of two American records there. The Purple, which is actually a British band, but, you know, what I mean, an English-speaking record. And uh, Kiss Rock and Roll Over. So that record was played to death there because it was really the only thing to listen to. 
and I loved it, and I still love it, and I can listen to it anytime, and it's everything about it is perfect. The production's good, the songs are great, Ace's guitar solos are top notch, and I, whenever I was in a band, in any band, we used to, you know, jam out Kiss songs, and for us, we used to always do like Doctor Love because Ace's solo is number one in that song. It's awesome. So, what what better way to uh, start off a jam session and whip out a couple of Kiss songs, right? Well, yeah, I agree. Absolutely, Ken. How about you? Yes. Well, for me, it is my number one Kiss album. Also, um, not the first I bought, but uh, it was the first I heard. I guess with someone throwing it down on their uh, turntable and uh, letting me hear it, and and I was very surprised in what I was hearing and, and just totally enjoyed it. Uh, so from then on, that, that's what even got me hooked. This out, al- this album got me hooked. I guess you could say uh, into Kiss, um, and then, but even though it wasn't the first I bought, I bought a Live Two first after that, but. Uh, it's it's a fantastic album, for, you know, production-wise and the whole package. So it's number one for me. It's it's an easy number one. 1976 was a pretty good year for music. Uh, two of my favorite albums, obviously, Rock and Roll Over and Aerosmith Rocks. You know, throwing those mm-hmm. two in, you know, the, just the sound. They they both had the street attitude, the grit. Lonnie, what's your where does this fit for you? It's right up there. It's definitely top. Even, even above revenge no I, I didn't say number one i said top three top five worst case scenario but it's it's you know just looking at the track listing it's almost and you could say this about most of the uh, most of the original six albums but it's almost like a greatest hits package it's so freaking good at least you know maybe maybe not a radio friendly greatest hits package but like a like a diehard kiss fans greatest hits package you could say with Take me and I want you and ladies' room and making love and you know it's just, there's so many great songs on there. So I mean it's the album where they really got their studio sound right for the first time and it it just it's the one it's the it's the studio album that sounds like Kiss and I think and that's something that and everybody can agree on that's. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with the struggles that they had early on to find to really capture their sound in the studio, it's they found a formula that worked on on rock and roll over, and you know it, that's why it's one of the best. I think one of the interesting things with this album is that it was a reaction to Bob Ezrin's production and the you know the polished nature of Destroyer that they had gone too far in one direction that they went all the way back. They they slid that dial all the way back to the other side of their hard rocking attitude when they did this. I mean, essentially cut it live in the theater. Um, so you, you really get the the rawness. And I, I think if the first album sounded like this, that would make it perfect as well. And same for, same for Love Gun, um, which you know then starts becoming being polished. But was it the right step, do you think, for them to take after destroyer and mark i'm I'm going to go to you on that first because obviously i know you're not you're not a fan of that and 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 that's that that's the good view to have in in kind of this perspective as a reaction against destroyer was it the only thing they could do or should they have maybe continued doing the bob ezra and alice cooper thing experimenting what do you think on that 
Well, I mean, it depends really on what kind of a band they wanted to perceive themselves as, right? I mean, I think they wanted to keep themselves in that sort of, you know, hard rock and kind of view with the people. And, you know, there was, there was like you said, there was backlash from people. And ironically, I spoke to my older sister today again and just asked her about this just to get a, a, a kind of feedback from her because she was right in the midst of when Destroyer was out, you know. And she said, too, that she remembers going to school and a lot of the guys at the, in, when she was in high school were saying the same thing, that they didn't like it. Oh, you know, they wussed out. And that's the kind of stuff that they were talking about when they were, you know, going through school. And I'm sure that trickled back. You know, it wasn't just, you know, one one these little high school here in Canada said that. It was everywhere, right? So I think that they reacted to that. And went back to what they thought they did well, and the sound that their fans grew to love them for. I mean, look at Alive. I mean, you know, that's the thing that really put them over the top, right? So they wanted to go back to maybe the sound that got them to where they were, right? So, I mean, if they wanted to become more of a progressive kind of band and change their sound of every single record, then maybe Destroyer would have been the start of that, and they would have kept going into different directions with each record. But I don't think that that was what they wanted to do, obviously. They wanted to stay a rock band, and going to this uh, sort of style was absolutely perfect. I give it two thumbs up. Andrew, what do you think? Right direction? Gonna, oh, absolutely. I, again, I'm going to piggyback off of, of what he said about it going back to being a raw record and being how Kiss wanted to sound. I mean... At this time, the biggest record was Alive, so it just made all the sense in the world to me and probably made all the sense in the world to them to record the album live at the Star Theater in Nanuet, New York. So, um, you know, I, I really don't have a lot to add to that because I, I agree with everything that, that, that he said on that. It's, um, it sounds like Kiss. That's really all I can say. Really, for that point, that's all I can add. Okay. Lonnie's going to disagree with you. <laughs> No, hold, it, on. It, well, hold on, Lonnie, because I know your favorite record is Revenge, but just remember, there would be no revenge without Rock and Roll Over. Wow, wow, wow. I see what you did there. So, um, it was, I, I, I think the, the sound is obviously a reaction of Kiss hitting the panic button of Revenge tanking when it originally came out and not living up to the expectations that they had, obviously. Um, I'm sorry, yes. What did <laughs> he, I say? He got you. Revenge. He said revenge. He, revenge. he had revenge he on my mind. I, I, you know, I, Save I, that. I can't, I can't help it. So, no, but it, it, it was an, a knee-jerk reaction to Destroyer tanking and not living up to the expectations. They had, you know, high hopes for, for Destroyer by bringing in Bob Eggsman, by polishing up their sound and all the experiment experimentation that they did with with that album and you know they recorded rock and roll before re, before beth really took off as a single and you know they 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 were hitting the panic button and did they but they made the right choice by bringing up by making it sound like their most successful record to date while they were recording that by saying you know we got you know we had so much success with alive well you know, what, how can we capture that sound? Because Destroyer doesn't sound like that, so you know, let's record did, it in a, in a theater. Go ahead. I'm going to challenge something you said. Please do. Because I know this was recorded in September of 76. When did when Beth did, take off? Exactly. When did Beth take Drew off? Drew in? 
end of August it started uh, going. Yeah. But they, but they would still have the plan in place, though, what they wanted to do. No, what no, you you, think? You're, you're right about they that. They would still it's have the plan that. in place. Like, they were still hitting the... By mid-July, though, while they're touring and the album's not selling like they wanted it to, they're already in the planning stages of what they're going to do next. Before Beth took off by by accident. I yeah, guess. they would have had the studio time booked. They would have had the songs. They knew what they wanted they, to do. They would have gone through the material. They would have had a pretty good idea of what they wanted to do. Um you know, I'm just looking at the chart action here for um, for Destroyer. I mean, it's in 139, 149, 192, August 14th, 1976. It falls off the charts August the 21st. Yes. So it <laughs> only comes back in. And they're all on tour at the time. Yeah, right? it, 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 yeah it only comes back onto the chart in early October. So it starts climbing again. How much of that can really be attributed to Beth? Well, all of it. But how much can be attributed to Paul Lind or, you know, mm-hmm. anything else as they start to get more popular, as they get more exposure? There's, there's a whole <clears throat> bunch of factors that start coming together at the same time for the, the real resurgence of success for that album. And you, you, yeah, gotta, you, th- you remember those ads in the trade magazines? You know, Flaming Youth or uh, Got launched the album to 847,000 copies or something, you know, and, and all, all that shit, you know, but it goes platinum as a result of that. Do, do you think, and I know we're kind of getting off topic with Rock and Roll over here, but do you think when Destroyer was tanking, so to speak, and they're hitting the panic button, do you think that part of that panic button was the originals? Because the originals came out in July of 76. So do you think that they were going, well, I know you don't like the new Kiss, but maybe revisit the old Kiss while we're working on getting the plans in place for Rock and Roll over? I think the originals is a is them capitalizing on the su- success of Alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's what that's what I think. Yeah, I I, I agree with Ken completely yeah. on that. That it, that it, it's more about repackaging the stuff that was ignored because uh, Neil was doing that with other bands as well. Don't forget he also repackaged the first three Rush albums, or he didn't, but uh, Mercury. Yeah. Mercury did the yeah, same archives. sort of thing, um, and I think he repackaged. Was it Donna Summer's first three, or I don't know. You know, there were there was a three album package coming out, so I I, I don't think it's necessarily related. And and okay. don't and don't forget don't forget too that there was also remember that interview that they did. I think it was in some hotel room, and I, I remember during the interview Peter was like in bed or some kind of crap like that and you were talking already then gene was saying that we already know what we're doing with our next record it's no bob ezrin they already mentioned it during that interview even at that point that they were going to go back to that so they already had that kind of figured out right yeah very early on in the interviews you know you you catch it all throughout the tour they're talking about the next album's going to be a hard album it's going to be what we do best it's going to be no strings they make it very clear that they don't want to do what they did before again anytime soon so you know boot camp had beat their asses So before we talk about high points, let's talk about low points on the album. I mean, what are the low points for you? And I'll start and say the only thing that keeps this from being a perfect 10 is the lack of an Ace Frehley's vocal on it. If he sang a song on it, it would be absolutely glorious. Um, And then we get two songs on this that I think are substandard, and See You In Your Dreams is just not the finished work for me. That's... uh, one that I think needed Bob Ezrin to help out on. 
Um, if he'd if he'd been producing this band, I think it would have been a far better song. And obviously, Gene re-recorded it on his solo album because he wasn't happy with it either. So I, I don't see what they could have done with it other than completely rework it into something unidentifiable by what it is um, today. And some people don't like Baby Driver, but I, I, I was going to say that Baby Driver. Well, I was say. you know, you, you're just not allowed to wear the cat makeup anymore. <laughs> Although, last time I saw your band play, Andrew, you guys played Baby Driver. Yeah, do you know how long it took them to convince me that that was going to be a good idea? (laughs) (laughs) They were like, let's do this song, let's do this song. I'm like, no, 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 let's not do it. And then finally, I was like, all right, all right, if you shut up, we'll do it. So, and then then we did um, Hot Luck Woman after that, and I thought that went over also like a lead balloon. Not exactly one of those up-tempo songs that gets the crowd headbanging, is it? So, what what are the low points on Rock and Roll Over for you, Andrew? Since you're on screen right now, uh, it's just really Baby Driver. I mean, I the song is okay, but like I never really. It was one of those ones where I just was like, okay, Stan Penridge wrote this, and maybe Peter put a period on the end, and they go, all right, Peter, you get a writing credit on this song because you you put a period or a comma somewhere. Um. I just, I, ne- I never, that was you, the only song. You think that he was... knows the difference between a period and a comma? Wow! <laughs> that's, you, know, that's you, you, have, you, have, you have not read the lyrics to Hooligan. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, the, the guy could barely write his name. I mean, if you look at some of those letters that he wrote, Lydia or anybody back in the day, or the, some of those, you're like, what? Who wrote this? Like, what? a child wrote this. A child wrote this. But. But that's really the only low point for me. I like See You in Your Dreams. I, I think it was a, a good song. I, I do prefer the solo album version to this version, but it doesn't mean I don't like this version. So um, there really are no low points on, on this record. Some of the demos that were coming out around this time were, were cool, too. I mean, we can we could talk to death about some of those demos as to which album they were actually meant for. Um, I know the box set had a really cool demo uh, for Dr. Love that... Uh, uh, what was the name bad, of it? Bad Bad Love. Bad Bad Love. But yeah, that, that escaped my mind. But bad Bad Love. That was kind of cool to hear. But um, you know, there are no low points on this record for me, at least, except kind of. If there was one, it'd be Baby Driver. Oh, I would like to have been one of those lucky people who uh, I hear may have heard the Gene demo of Baby Driver recently. Um, yeah, mm. that would that would have been interesting. Ken, what about you? Yeah, there's no real low point on this uh, since I can. You know, listen to it without skipping anything or falling asleep <laughs> on a song or something. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's all good. Uh, I, to me, yeah, "See You in Your Dreams" is the my least favorite on the on the album. Though it's not a bad song, it's just I don't think it's up to par with uh, the the rest of the songs. I, I like "Baby Driver." I think that's a actually I think that's a pretty gar- good song. When I first heard "Baby Driver," I didn't like it. Uh, really, when I first heard it, but then over time, I like it a lot more. I like the what they did in it with the pulsating uh, riffs and the uh, and some of the guitar tones to make it sound like almost like a horn, car horn in a way, if you think about it, um, the way they were, you know, playing the instrument. So, uh, yeah, so no real bad song. It's just "See You in the Dreams" is my least favorite on the album. Yeah, I like to hear the original demo to Baby Driver because Peter, I think, is on record as saying he doesn't like what the band did with the song. And since the first time I ever heard this album, it's always been one that caught me because it's got a different groove than your normal Kiss song. Totally different groove, and 
you know, obviously I heard that before I ever heard uh, Hooligan on Love Gun, which is similar in some ways to this. Um, it's got a similar kind of feel. So I always liked it because it stood out, and it's just, you know, you know, different stuff. Mark? Well, it's funny. Uh, the fellow musician will have to echo the drummer here, too. Um, I think that Baby Driver is the, the, the weak link there, too. So, um, like I said... This record, to me, I can listen to top to bottom, and much like everybody else has been saying, it's not that it's a bad, like, bad, bad point or low point, but it's just, to me, the weakest song on the record. I mean, musically, to me, as a guitar player, I find it very, very uninspiring, really. I mean, I know Ken Lyson, I'm sorry that I'm going to go against you on it, but I just find that the riffs and stuff very juvenile and standard, that whole dan, dan, dance like come on man you could have put another chord in there like it's just so simplistic <laughs> and so you know it's a, just too simple i mean and not to you know pick at peter chris here but you know maybe that kind of simplistic thing is better for him maybe he's a more simple kind of person right so um he's a total I, simple. he's a total, total simpleton right so <laughs> you know but then that's the thing i mean it 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 suited him maybe that's why they put it on they needed a song for him and while it's not horrendous, but it's just not its not challenging musically as some of the other songs on there. I mean, not that any of these songs are dream theater or anything like that, but it, it, some of them, you know, have a bit more riffage to it. There's some really cool solos in it and stuff like that and some, you know, cool vocal harmonies. And, you know, maybe some of those things are just lacking in Baby Driver. Yeah, I was going to say that I don't think a, a lot of the critics out there are really going to say that Kiss is technically challenging music and that Baby <laughs> right. ba- baby Driver isn't up to the standard. Uh, it's, it's certainly well within there. What do you think about the singles that were chosen for the album? I mean, the first one that comes out is Hard Luck Woman, mm. which obviously builds on Beth. It's pretty transparent. Um, yeah. German, Bellophon. Is that a real one or is that out of that fake-ass box, box set? box set. set. I'm sorry, the reproduction high-quality box set <laughs> that's right and i, I do like I'll it show you that gayfold japan this or canada this one's a, this one's a uh, real japan. one yeah. mm. this is a real one nice so do you think they did the right choice by following up on peter's with another peter song um or should they have you know maybe done wait wait wait, wait, wait. beth is a peter song hard luck woman is a paul stanley song sung by peter hmm. yeah yeah, well, I mean, it's still a Paul Stanley song. But the public so, doesn't. You, you, the, public radio, do you? But the public doesn't. Yeah. The public's not looking at writing credits when they hear it, though. When it's right. yeah. a single. I guess they I, they were probably trying to capitalize. Yeah, I agree. They were Absolutely. trying to capitalize on that. Yeah, totally. Was it the right thing to do? I mean, no. if, if you take away the business sense of, yes, from a from a pencil pusher point of view, it's going to be, of course, we're going to do the same thing that was just successful and keep doing it because we don't have any imagination. So um, that's what you do. Ken? No, they, they, to me, they should have they should have released Hard Luck Woman, but it should have been released as the second single. Uh, they should have released Calling Dr. Love first, in my opinion. Um, off of that, at least show something that you're, you know, you're rocking a bit, right? Um, after Destroyer, let's let's show them that, you know, we're, we're back to, you know, uh, rocking and raunchy guitars at least. Um, and it's to catch, you know, it's a catchy song. Um, so yeah, they should have went with that first. Hard Luck Woman second, definitely. 
I mean, you, you build on the Rod Stewart type, you know, song and and keep with keep maybe those Beth fans happy at, at that point. <laughs> the mothers. The mothers, the soccer moms, or whatever they were in 1976. The uh, the one thing I always felt they kind of missed with this is "I Want You" as a single. I'm sure you've seen that artwork yeah. of Uncle Sam pointing with the Kiss Army uh, makeup and all that. Would have made a great picture sleeve in the bicentennial bicentennial year, um, yeah. and just would have been far too obvious for you know a rocking track. Yeah. But you know, I, I guess at that point. Flaming Youth had bombed, Detroit Rock City had bombed, Shouted Out Loud had not been particularly successful, so Hard Luck Woman kind of makes sense. Lonnie? Yeah, I agree. I I, I think that that's exactly where they're headed. Just like you were saying, Julian, Shouted Out Loud had bombed. All those other songs off Destroy had bombed the singles. Well, we had success with Beth as a single, so why not make Hard Luck Woman the first single off the new album? Because that's where the success was off the last album. So, I mean, I get it. You know what I mean? I mean, but do you I understand. Think- I understand why they did. Do I? Do, would I? Would I choose looking at that album standalone by itself? Would I choose that to be the first single off of it? No, absolutely not. But I understand why they did. It. As a, from a business point of view, I understand why they did it after those other songs tanked as singles off the previous album. You know, but then I, they went ahead and they did "I Want You," "Love Him and Leave Him" as videos for Don Kushner. Right. Do you think maybe they were like, oh, we need some rocking? I mean, I know they did a Hall of Women yeah. as well. But, sure. uh, you know, I don't know. It, sure. Sure. I always wonder what they were thinking about when they were when they were doing that. Because obviously now everything is all streamlined. The first right. single is the first video. The second single is the second video. But then it was like, okay, so this is – so our first single is Hard Look Woman. So, yeah, we'll do that on Don Kushner's. Then our second single is Calling Dr. Love. They never even played it live on the Rock and Roll Over tour. Weird. When did so they – and Julian, do you know when they recorded those or filmed those videos? Yeah, those are filmed during rehearsals up in uh, what, what the hell is it, Reading, I think. Reading, Pennsylvania. Yeah. No. Okay. Massachusetts. So I don't know if they were thinking for the Rock and Roll Over tour. That was like uh, when the Rock and Roll Over tour kicked. I'm on Kiss Monster. Let me see when the Rock and Roll Over tour kicked off. <laughs> free, free plug right there. <laughs> <laughs> rock and Roll Over is tour. Is that on the books? <laughs> rock, and roll, rock and Roll Over Tour, the first official date on that one was uh, November 24th at uh, the Civic Center, Savannah, Georgia. But they were in SIR from November 7th to November 12th, and then they were in Reading, Massachusetts, those rehearsals, November 15th to November 21st. So it was shot in between there. Yep, I'm trying to find the, the exact date right now for another one that's not exactly, uh, so I haven't published it yet. Yeah. Well, it, it, it definitely seems though that it made sense in their minds to do that because, you know, the biggest success that they have with the prior record was a ballad, so why not follow up again with a ballad again, right? But I mean, I think that I, I think that they should have came out with I Want You first. I think that to me, you know, it starts off sort of ballady at the, for the first 10 seconds and then turns into a real hard rocking song. So I think that would have been a better route to take. I think personally it's a much better song too and i think it would have would have played on radio a lot better i mean you know and that's the thing too i mean it was that's almost predictable to do that you know they the band got popular on a ballad let's put out another ballad you know they're lucky this is in the 1980s because when a band started doing that you know when you put out a ballad first that's almost your death knell right there i mean look mm-hmm. at extreme and these bands yeah. they put out more than words and then nobody ever wants to buy their records again because they think it's all going to be sappy crap like that 
you know, and then all these housewives go out and buy it, listen to the rest of the record, and they're like, oh my god, there's all kind of distortion and drums on this, I'm sending it back, you know. I like more so. than words. So, so what do you guys think should have been? So, what do all you guys think should have been the first single off? I want you. I want you. I want you. Yeah. Yeah. First song, side A. You know, that's your yeah. that's that's your target. That's the formula. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, it's totally formula. You know, that's that's a declaration of intent that you know that opens up the. <laughs> well, I think. Well, I think I want you would be a a great leadoff single. Uh, I think on chart-wise, it wouldn't have done very well. I don't think it would have done as well as uh, Dr. Love. I really don't. Even though I think it's a, a better song than Dr. Love, um, obviously, but it's it's not single-type, top 40 stuff that's going to you know play a lot. I guess you're right. Speaking of I Want You, maybe we're getting a little off topic here, but why hasn't Kiss played that since like 2004? <laughs> they don't want because to do that part. Vocals or what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they don't. They don't want her to do that big caterwaul at the end there. What? What, what do you mean? The ten so minutes? The, the ten yeah. minutes of strangling a cat? You mean? I'm tired of the yeah. state yodeling. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of that. <laughs> it's like shaking. A but baby. did anybody else? Did anybody else? And this is dovetailing off what Lonnie said. Did anybody else lose their shit? When they encore on the Hot in the Shade tour, the first encore is "I Want You," and that Kiss logo mutated as it was comes oh, yeah. back up. Like, did anybody else like lose their mind? Like, I always yeah. saw it on oh, video. Yeah. First time I watched a, a, a Hot in the Shade, I was like, dude, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. I absolutely. was, I was there, and I remember I you know saying to my yeah. buddy, saying, "Hey man," <laughs> we were like, "Yeah, we're it's finally the logo," you know, the logo's yeah. back, you know. So yeah. yeah, it was cool. Mutated, but it's still there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, intentions were good, and that logo still survived years later. That thing is still, still, right still trot that piece of shit out. I was gonna say the thing about uh, I want you that you know I think people that were the destroyer haters, uh, hoping you know, and they put on rock and roll over and they hear this acoustic beginning, they're probably like, oh my god, they're gonna, gonna keep doing it. But then it you know just then the, the surprise comes and they start in blaring, and it's yeah, it's in your face and. Uh, it's like, uh, we fooled you. We were, you thought we were going to do Destroyer again, but we didn't do it. <laughs> so let's yeah. talk about those videos, because those, to me, are some, some of the most stunningly impressive visuals of KISS in this, mm. in this era. But they don't get used until May 77 in the U.S. I, I mean, I love anyone out there, you know, international fans. We've always heard that these are filmed to be promotional videos to be used in other markets. You know, that was what Casablanca and what Coin were big on. Did anyone ever see those anywhere else in the world? I mean, I'd just love to know that for my own personal satisfaction. You know, before May 77, when they're used on Don Kirshner's, uh, what was it, rock concert, rock show, whatever. But what do you guys think about the videos, Andrew? Love them. Love them. I remember seeing them, and they were, I didn't know it was one appearance on the Don Kirshner rock concert, because in the 90s, when I was the Kiss fan and was being sent into overdrive, they were split between the, the, these two compilations I'd have. There were 74, 76, and 76, 78. So mm-hmm. I don't remember where it was split. So I never saw the whole thing like together like it was meant to be seen. But I love these videos. And interesting that you mentioned that they were being used for international markets because I have a clip of them uh, using the Love Em and Leave Em video in Japan. And instead of saying Love Em and Leave Em, it says no more people. 
I'm like, who? Ah, yes. Why? Why did we? Do, yeah. Why did we? What? What happened with this? But anyway, I I love I love the videos. I think um, it, it was such a cool thing for them to do. And who remembers opening up the comic book and seeing that that splash page in the comic book? Like, that's from that video shoot. And there's so many cool, rich images from that. I mean, I know the stage is kind of smashed down to size. I mean, you could barely see the entire logo because of where they were rehearsing. But uh, but man, I I love those videos. I mean, I, I kind of get sick and tired of watching, you know, the Sure Know Something and I Was Made for Loving You videos, and maybe even I get sick and tired of the Midnight Special. Never get sick and tired of those videos. Absolutely. Never get sick and tired. Agree, I agree with you completely. Lonnie, what Love. about you? Yeah, it absolutely captures Kiss in late 76 and really Kiss peaking. Um, those visually and it, it really just gives you a sense of how fantastic it must have been, and, and I, Ken's the only one of us that can really attest to this, of, of how fantastic it must have been to see them live in that time frame. Because, you know, Gene is just out of, you know, Gene with his jumping is just out of control, and and Paul is all over the stage, and it's, gosh, it just makes you feel like, my word, it must have been amazing to see him live back then. You know, and it just visually and the way they just, it, it, it just captures Kiss in, in a nutshell. And, and even, even, even Hard Luck Woman, which is a slow song, you know, and then, you know, it focuses on Peter the whole time, but then, but then it pans over to, to Paul and Ace and they're playing the same guitar at the same time. And as a kid, when I see, see that for the first time, I'm like, oh, wow, that's really cool. They're both playing the same guitar, the two guitars, you know? You know, as as hokey as it was, when you look at it now, like, oh, it's really kind of cheesy. They're both playing the same guitar. But when you see it as a kid, it's like, wow, that's really cool. So I think those videos are fantastic. And the love them, leave them. Just how animated Gene is when he's singing that. It just, it really gives you a great appreciation of Gene. And I love that song. And I wish they would would have showcased it back then. I wish they'd showcase it now. I think it'd be great live now. And, you know, We've we've talked setless on the show to death, but I but I think anybody that's a that's a you know, even casual KISS fan has rock and roll over that goes that's gonna go to the show is gonna at least have heard Love and Leave them at some point in their KISS fandom. So they played it in Japan, seventy six. Two thousand and six they played it. Did you were did you were you at that show, Andrew, and they played Love and Leave? I was at all so four shows. So you went to Japan in 06. Yeah. I was at all four of those shows on the Japanese Look tour. So you. I was at the show. So they played wow, Love and Leave them. Wow. They played Love and Leave Him July 18th in Nagoya, and then July 20th in Fukuoka, they played Kissin' Time. Yeah. That's Kiss, fantastic. I mean, damn. Fantastic. And, and we don't, we still don't know if they ever performed it on the U.S. tour in 76. We don't have the first set list from Savannah. Um, I, I've never even been able to find a review that goes into enough detail on that. I mean, the Savannah Morning News review from uh, the uh, two days after the show doesn't mention any details that would lead you to believe that it was performed. We know it was done in rehearsals. We know it was done live in rehearsals. We know we know they lip synced obviously and did a very good job lip syncing the song for the uh, for the uh, Kirshner videos because they'd been working on it live. But you know that would be the sort of deep cut that I think. They could throw into the set, you know, as one of the rotating exactly. ones. It's been in there. It's 
you know, it doesn't go down as well as the more identifiable stuff, but it would be one of those ones that they could do to throw you know, the hardcore fans a freaking bone and shut, know, like shut did, us up. Like they did Flaming yeah. Youth last summer. I think it would go over just as well, if not better, than Flaming Youth did. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And and Gene, yeah. I mean, getting back to Don Kirshner, Gene, the image of him and how animated he is, that is the demon I love. You know, exactly. I, yeah. get, I get the visual of him. Mark, I left you out of this for a little bit. What do you What do you think? Oh, I agree with everything you guys have said. I mean, they're just you know they're iconic videos. They're there's something that every Kiss fan needs to see at least once in their life. And uh, you know, and if you haven't seen it yet, I mean, nowadays you can see it on YouTube. You can probably find it somewhere on there and check it out. And they're just they're just such a time capsule of that period, you know. If you want to see, you know, Kiss when they were firing on all cylinders and things were going good for them, that's probably the clips you want to see. I mean, and you know, they have a they had a decent kind of stage set up there, and like you said, Gene was, you know, he was at his most animated best at that point, right? And you know, they just seemed to be gelled at this point in their career. Just. It's 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 great to see it. I mean, and if you think about it back then, I mean, how many bands really had videos of that kind of quality back in 1976? I don't think there were too very too many. I mean, did Queen have Bohemian Rhapsody out at that point? Probably. But, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, that was out. that's yeah. a, that's about it. You know, that I can think of. I'm sure there are others, Some but others. but maybe not as circulated as these were. I mean, of course they were circulated more into other markets to you know introduce other places that kiss hadn't played to yet to for people to see kiss right so that's that's fine and it it probably did its job but you know as a uh, video for us to enjoy they're fantastic and i'm glad that they put them on the kissology because you know we have them there now in good quality forever to watch right don't get me started on those kissology quality don't get me started (laughs) what what? fired fired those people whoever put those things together what what kissology quality Exactly. My point exactly. Is one of those on um, Kiss My Ass? Or is one of those videos on Kiss My Ass? I forget. Let me check, let me check mm. this great website called KissMonster.com. I, I like what you do with your voice. <laughs> let me check. Because like, <laughs> I, I just don't remember. I haven't watched Kiss My Ass. I don't ass either. Because I haven't watched Kiss My Ass in a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's see. La, 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 la. A commercial, no, no, no. Is it on extreme close-up? I think it's on, it's, it's on. It's on one of the videos from. It's gotta be on one of those videos yeah. from the late eighties, early nineties. It's not on confidential. Or confidential. They went back and they did some stuff on confidential too. Not on confidential. Extreme close-up. Yeah, it's on extreme close-up. It's on extreme close-up. Because I, if, if I remember the uh, what was it the, next... the copy of what was going to be uh, exposed to did have I want you listed on the back there or, or something uh, yeah so it had well, this one there. yeah this one this one says love and leave and Hulk woman for uh, for extreme close up okay so then let me so then let me correct myself at least we have a copy of the videos <laughs> for us to see and actually too just harking back there's a great episode of the kiss faq podcast where we all talk about those original videos i think lonnie was on that one too wow 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 it was a while ago it was a while ago. yeah i do remember we talked about those earlier so 
Go to iTunes and pre-plug there again. Go down to iTunes and check out the past episodes of Kitchen. Check out that past episode. Figure out which one it was. Because we don't know. We're we're the Paul Stanley of the Kiss FAQ podcast. We don't know what we talked about in the previous episodes. I think it's off Rock and Roll Over. But that, yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's going to be correct today, no matter what we talk about. So let's talk talk about the tour, because for me, this tour is one of the very, very best. Um, We get to the end of the tour, obviously, and we get the Japan show. Uh, mm-hmm. The numerous mm-hmm. versions of that, which is just absolutely stunning with the new stage. But they debuted Take Me, Ladies Room, I Want You, Harlock Woman, um, Making Love from the album. Five songs, and possibly Love Them and Leave Them if that was performed at the first at the first show. Was that the right songs to take live from the album, or do you think they missed something very obvious very early on? Or uh, what's your take on those songs, Ken? Uh, you know, again, there's so many good songs off the album, I don't think it's wrong to play any of them. Any of them that they would decide to play or it would have been fine. Um, so I have no problem with them pulling those you know, specific songs out. Um I guess they may have not wanted to pull like Baby Driver or you yeah. know, See You in Your Dreams, right? The ones that we kind of targeted as, you know, the not the best on there. But the rest, they could have played anything. Mark? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, really, I think that's one of the uh, hard points or hardest parts of being in a band is what do you pull out and play in concert, right? I mean... I'm sure Andrew was just talking about that as well, about, you know, some somebody wants to play this song and then the other guys don't want to play it. Could be the same thing with them as well, right? But, I mean, I, I think that what they played at these shows were really good. I, I've always loved the video clips that I've seen from this tour, and I've always thought they were really great shows. So, really, I don't think that whatever they played off this record, all of the stuff that they played off this record was really good, I thought. I thought they performed them well live, and I have no complaints about them. Like, but you know, like I said before, they have other records to think about that they needed to play songs off of. And you know, what do you play and what don't you play? You know, you have to put it all within a 90-minute construct there and see what you can come up with. So, you know, you have to pr- pr- push the new record and then you know play the favorites. So, it's always a roll of the dice and a difficult choice to make of what you're going to play from the records. Cat girl. <laughs> well, <laughs> Doctor Love. They didn't play Doctor Love, and then they made they realized their mistake because Doctor Love became a, a gene staple after that. But uh, I think all the choices that were mentioned were great. And let's not forget this tour had one of the most important shows in all of history. Kiss finally played Madison Square Garden, February eighteenth, nineteen seventy-seven, and sold it out. And it's got a great video. Is uh is out there in fan circles for us to check out, and, and a really crappy clip was a bonus on one of the Kissologies. But um, it this tour was this tour was the best selling Kiss tour, having the most sold out nights across all the '70s tours, even more sold out nights than the um Alive Two tour. I think they may have performed to more people on the Alive Two tour, but there were more sold out nights on the Rock and Roll Over tour, according to uh, Kiss Alive Forever. So if you want to go back and, and fact check me on that, but this was their best selling tour. And uh, and again, you, you had the Madison Square Garden show in uh, in February of '77. You had the Great Japan shows in uh, in March and April of '77, which gave us some of Alive Two and uh, that great shelved 
live Japanese record that was never put out. So this is my favorite tour. Kiss was firing on on all cylinders. This is such a cool, such a cool tour. Let's not forget, there's a lot of cool bootlegs out on this tour as well too. There's uh, someone tell me what show it is because I don't remember off the top of my head where uh, Peter lost his voice and Paul had to sing Black Diamond. Then there's also um, you know an incomplete version of the rehearsals that uh, that circulate. But there's a lot of cool stuff that circulates um, from this tour. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add to that. Obviously, you get the the first show that's available from the store is uh, Memphis, and it's complete. So that you get the first ever live performance of Beth. Currently, yeah, you know, it's the earliest one that's from the tour. You get Hard Luck Woman live electrically, um, which is really cool. You can see why it didn't last in the tour. But you know that making love is an encore too. Yeah, that 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 was the really cool part of that show. You know, especially when you see how. The set's kind of developing early on, first week of the tour. I think New Orleans is a, a partially available from the next night, about half the show. Um, you know, there's a ton of stuff. The Madison Square Garden, I've never been a big fan of that video. Um, it's the only way you really get to see, you know, the Destroyer stage, you know, still as it were, rather than Budokan is, is the is the show for me on this this tour. But, you know, there's a ton about, of audience. What about Detroit? What about Detroit? Um, Detroit's great, too. To a certain extent. Yeah. And that was, I think, the one of the last nights where Paul had his long sleeve, the version of his costume. I'm pretty sure it was either Madison Square Garden or a night or two before Madison Square Garden where he had the short sleeve bodysuit, the actual rock and roll over one. Because I believe after Detroit 77, he went back and wore the alive bodysuit. I guess something went wrong with his long sleeve destroyer bodysuit, which is why the short sleeve one was made. Yeah, and of course the the Kobo show. I mean, that was the massive one that came out. Of, you know, it's quite a few years ago now when that finally leaked. Just imagine it. Yeah, it seems like a couple years ago, but it was quite a while ago now. <laughs> yeah, it was ten, ten years ago, pretty much. I know, but it seems like it was a couple of years ago when that finally came out. Uh, yeah, and everybody just, shut their pants at the same time when it came out. Just to know yeah, that the, the other nights exist as well. So yeah, you know, but, we'll never see them. No, I know. But there you go. Um, you know, let's talk about Budokan. Obviously, that is historic in so many different ways for the band. Their first visit to Japan, their um, stunning, stunning stage that was built custom for that for that tour, um, set, performance, everything. Mark, let's go to you on Budokan. Yeah, well, I I agree. It's probably one of my favorite shows as well to uh, watch um it's it's interesting watching that because you can tell that paul's kind of uh trying to adjust his stage banter to the japanese audience trying to you know make it a little bit more simpler for them to understand i'm i'm, I'm kind of guessing the way he was responding back and forth with them keeping it more to the woos and all that stuff rather than full sentences of things right but um it's it's a really good show i i really like it i, I really enjoyed it um, like you said, the stage that they made for it, the whole stage setup was just fantastic. And again, being that this is a relatively new market for them as far as performance goes, you could tell that they were very motivated and on fire playing these shows to these very receptive audiences. So I really I really like this show. I, I think that they played everything pretty well. And, uh, you know, if I, if ever I pull out a concert and if a friend comes over who's maybe not so familiar with the Kiss uh, history, I seem to pull this one out and get them to watch it. This one 
or if they want to see a non-makeup makeup one, I usually pull out the uh, that whole Revenge in Brazil one that we talked about not long ago there, where they were playing with Kulik, which is one of the most awesomest shows you'll ever see mm-hmm. Kiss do. Now you mentioned something interesting about Japan, and that was how he kept his rap simple. And what's there's some cool documentation that, that was going back between uh, the U.S. and Japan prior to the tour. That Paul was asking for translations of phrases that he used in concerts. You know, he wanted to be respectful to the Japanese audience and maybe say things in Japanese to them to kind of converse with them on a level that that they could understand. I, I thought that was just a really cool thing, you know, for a rock star, you know, to be that aware of he's going to a completely different culture completely different than anything he'd ever experienced and and wanted to bond with the people but he was told forget it use english they'll understand what you're saying you know and that's why he kind of keeps it very basic what i find so exciting about the whole japan tour is how these are the shows that have leaked over the last few years you know these the the ones that everyone always wanted have been coming out um mr peach right andrew Mr. Peach. Mr. Peach. Yep. Hallelujah. Listen, how 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 someone because they, they're not soundboards. I mean, maybe they aren't. We don't know. They they sound so good for recordings. And both uh, both um, runs in Japan are out. So there are many many nights available from the '77 run. Then there are also many many nights available from the '78 run. So Mr. Peach, yeah. it's so cool. It's so cool to have those shows. And uh, and remember, like I said before, it's also cool to have that. Uh, what was it supposed to be called? Rock and roll over party in Japan. Yeah. That uh, that Eddie Kramer did because that was supposed to be their next live record that was going to be uh, released only in Japan. I guess that was a big deal going on there because it's my understanding that a lot of bands were releasing at Budokan series. That's kind of how. That's why Cheap Trick did theirs, and then obviously the Cheap Trick at Budokan took off in America too. But there are lots of artists who release concerts performed at the Budokan. So I think his was just following suit on that but um it was cool to get that and um i'm i'm actually really glad that it came out because i read a lot of publications about it like it was coming out and that'd be one of those things where i would would be clamoring to hear that because it sounds so good and uh, i sometimes prefer that to alive too but uh and parts of it yeah, are Buda- alive too parts of it are alive too so and the other parts were, were in the studio, but uh, the Budokan was great. I mean, that's such a cool time period. And where's all the other footage from that from Japan '77? You know, there's more footage shot. Where is it? it? Has got to be. I mean, that that for me would just be one of those things. Now, if anything else surfaced from there, because you know, I I I still think they should release that album. That that would just make too much sense to me as a fan. You know, put it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, so remember a few years back, Backstage Auctions, uh, I think, was doing the Eddie Kramer auction, and they put up the reels for Rock Roll Party in Japan, mm. and I wanted those so badly. I was going to go big time on those to get them, and they had to pull them. No, um, you. You just, you just know there was, there was a phone call for those in the Kiss 73 demo reels that you were not selling these. Um, simple as that. But I would mm. just love to have that album out as it's supposed to be i don't think it's even available in, in a non-lossy source i think the person who originally got the copy put it into a mini disc player and d- did a recording that is actually loss lossy instead of lossless so i'm not too sure on that Maybe. and there was like in, at the end of i want you there's like that that almost sounds like <laughs> yeah what the fuck yeah. Kind of pisses you off a little bit every time, doesn't it? It does. 
It does. And, and when I got the, my first copy of that, it was at um, with the famed Rothman Center, Kiss Dimensions of the late 90s and early 2000s. So I get this, and I'm like, did this guy rip me off? Like, why did no. I? No. Why? And then years the later, years later, every copy I've gotten since then. So I've gotten copies that are better than what I originally got, but still, every copy's like that. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt, there are better. Um, I'm just trying to look it up quickly on the site because I want you from a live, yeah, the sound check version on the box set is actually from from uh, Japan. Japan. Yeah. Sound check? Yeah, without the audience overdubbed. So, yeah. yeah. It, sound check my dick. Because there, there's actually a guitar error in the song um, that's exactly identical on the uh, rock and roll party in Japan. Recording, but that, you know, that's getting too deep into the technical bullshit side of bootlegs and all that crap. So uh, we love that, though. We I, love yeah, that's another show. Yeah, that's but another show. Right now, the audience is <laughs> falling off the backs of their seats. <laughs> no, I thought we were clamoring. talking about they're, rock and roll. Over. They're they're clamoring. They want to see what we have. Actually, when we were talking about some of the some of the rehearsals, I went and I, and I I went and checked my iTunes library, and I was like, "Ooh, there's something here I can't talk about." So you know, yeah, I'm in the same mode, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, talking talk about about the same thing. <laughs> well, after we edit her out, then maybe we can talk about it. <laughs> but uh, hey, so I mean, um, I know you. I know I did kiss my wax for a little while, so I actually brought up all my rock and roll records to kind of talk about what's in the record. You guys want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, but first question is: Do you have a copy of the Burns Media? The LP. Have you managed to add one of those to your collection yet? I have the content, and the content is better than any content. The, my version of the content is better than any version out there. Ooh, Hands look down. at you. Hands down. That's a, Hands that's, down. That sounds like a throwdown. But yes, it, uh, you want to throw it? I think well, Julian would challenge you. No, because let's I throw it. dicks it, out for Harabe. Because so. <laughs> because it, it is better than any other version I've ever heard. So simple as that. But uh, you know, what's that album going for when it does come up? Is it hitting a thousand yet? I mean, Tom would know the answer straight off the top of Tom, his head, but um, yeah, Tom would know, and you know the, the guys Jason and Tom at Kiss My Wax, they would know. They're uh, they're definitely the vinyl aficionados, but um, it's one of those things. And you know, Mark Chikini's got a copy of it. He showed it on one of the old Kiss My Wax episodes. Yeah, yeah they, they they didn't they they on three sides. They also played they some played of it. some of it. They yeah, played a little played bit it. of it. Yeah, they did. Which is better than my crappy uh, cassette tape. <clears throat> Ken, what what about you in your collectibles when it comes to rock and roll over? What do you have? Uh, you were showing it's, the gatefold earlier, I think. It's a gatefold. It's probably my most collected uh, uh, version. I have I have an uh, El Salvador copy. I have the the red vinyl uh, copy. Um, uh, I, I think that's that is that Belton or whichever one. Um, uh, you know the the tear the the teardrop. Um, I got rid another, of one. I sold it really cheap as well because someone had gone in with freaking pencil around the the white on that. That just that just killed me. But I have the I have the uh, the the what is it uh, the promotion uh, rock and roll over you know the white cover uh, the the promo that has what. <laughs> That we need four tracks on it or something like that. Yeah, remember. that's a real that's a really cool one. That's that's, gone that's, a, very, that's a, more of a harder one to find. And, very expensive. Um, so yeah, um, I, I have, you know my it's probably about this many. I don't know. There, there's a lot. Um, so yeah, I collect that. I think it, I collect more of that one because it being my favorite, I kind of 
lean towards it and try to find more copies of it. It's kind of like you and Kiss Alive, Julian. Like I was. I'm selling them. Not quite as obsessive. Yeah, I I, I gave up on that. (laughs) I totally gave up on it. It got so boring, you know, just having a wall full of Kiss Alives that I kind of changed my uh, collecting focus and I'm just going for the one copy of each album, which to be the the most interesting one from the world um, that I can think of. So it'll probably have to be Canada or Japan for that when I do add it into my collection. I showed it at the top of the show. This is my only copy, and it's the P33C Japan CD, which is the Mm. most superior recording Mm -hmm. um, until the 2014 remasters, which that is basically the the grandfather of, very similar sonically. Though mm-hmm. the 2014 ones are just the volume boost a little bit. Nice Argentina. Yes, yes, and it's signed. Who's it signed by? It's it, signed by Ace, right? Ace Frehley. Nice. Wow. Is that a That's signature awesome. or a scribble? That looks like a seizure. Hey, puppy. No, it's, it's a signature. Yeah. <laughs> that is beautiful. And there's like several versions of that. I mean, I think I've seen three different like labels on that 80. I think it's 80, 1980 on that one, or 82. Yeah, the actual guy that uh, I bought it from, he got the signature uh, from Ace, when, and he put this actually in it where he actually got signed. He attended this uh, deal where Ace Freely was at, and he this is where he got oh, the signature cool. on the album. So cool. I keep that in there. Love stuff like that. That's really cool. Lonnie, yeah. what about you? What's your go-to copy of the album, if you have any? Um, I don't know. I, I don't have a a go-to copy of the album. You know, I mean, I have, I have a couple vinyl versions of it. You know, I got, you know, an original American one and I have a teardrop one. Um, but the album is just so freaking great that, you know, you guys were, you know, we were picking a bad song on the album a little while ago and that's, it's really hard to do when you're looking at an album that's so great as, as rock and roll over is. So, you know, I guess my, the version that I listen to the most right now, I guess, is the version downloaded on my iPod. And <laughs> <laughs> in, in total nice. 2016 fashion, I guess. You millennia, but, you. Yeah. What? You millennia, you. I know. It's from the guy who works for Apple. So, <laughs> so true. <laughs> but no, I mean, I got, I got, I got, I have a couple LP versions of it, but no, nothing. As thick as what Ken was describing, but I don't have a signed Ace Freely Argentina. It's cool. That's really it. cool but it's pretty freaking cool, so I'll give you that. But, and, and Mark, you, you, know. were, you were showing a copy on Facebook earlier today. What, which one was that? Was that the quality Canadian well, pressing that you're playing? or? Yeah. Well, here's my pictures I sent you on your wall, Julian, on your Facebook. This is, this is my collection I have now. I have eight copies. I got the uh, quality Canadian, I got the Polydor Canadian, I got a Grease copy, I got the red vinyl uh, UK one, I've got the Japanese one, I've got a German one, I got the 2014 US one, and I got the Teardrop one. And then there's two CD copies that I have there. One is the Canadian uh, remaster one, and the US one that came from that classic five records and those kind of mini slip album ones so that's like this it's one of those small little slip case ones right and my most recent one of it is my actual 85 cassette copy that i've got 
of it now. So I gotten a lot of them. And the funny thing is I was listening today very intently and made a comparison. I put on the quality records one and set my stereo up, played it, listened to it, took it off, and put on the 2014 vinyl version of it on there. And there's a there's a there's an obvious difference in the in the mastering of it. Because the quality records one, the low mid range and around between 500k to about 1.5 is much more dominant in the quality pressing from Canada from 76. What they did in the reissued ones, like the 2014, they very much uh, cleaned up the low, low, low end of it, but they kind of did a little notch scoop in the mid-range of it and pulled that back a bit to clean up the symbols on the remastered one that came out now, and it's clearer, but it doesn't have the same guttural punch in the guitars, I find, as the original one from the Quality Records one. There is an obvious difference. Yeah, I've, I find generally what the case is for vinyl in my ears is that I always prefer pristine copies of the original vinyl to anything that's come since. And what about yeah. the 2014s? I don't like the 2014s whatsoever. Yeah, they're, they're, they're scooped. Yeah, they're, they're scooped a bit in that mid. Hmm. Yeah, I, I go for I go for the originals, uh, and again, these Japan, you know, the the first issue of the CDs are the best, and always will be for me. So um, I, I downloaded the HD tracks versions of all these albums as well, which are the supposedly the digital equivalencies to the vinyl, and you know, I don't even listen to those. I just went back. They, you know, the, the record companies they just they brick wall the CDs and they screw around with the audio before it goes to vinyl so I, I i i don't know maybe it's just because i'm used to how they sounded on the original sources so any other questions or that i haven't covered on rock and roll over that any of you think i need to or we need to address before we bring this show to a close have i missed about the vinyls? i want to talk about the vinyls okay andrew talk about the vinyls please <laughs> the floor is yours just uh go ahead just uh i mean for those of you who bought the vinyl in 76, just want to talk about the inserts in it really quick. It had a cool sleeve. It had uh, the, the order form. Then it had a sticker. So, you know, there's a ton of different uh, vinyl versions. But my go-to vinyl version, because it's the weirdest one, even though I love the Japanese one, I love the uh, the Polygram 85 version. Do you know why I like this one so much? Because it's got a love gun sleeve. And yeah. that's actually that's the sleeve that belongs in there because it, you match up the catalog numbers uh, in there, too. So I thought that was uh, that was really cool uh, about that. So yeah, so that's just my little thing. And if you want to know more about the uh, actual vinyls, about that, you know, Kiss My Wax did a great episode on that a while ago. So there's my plug, Kiss My Wax. Yeah, and there's a ton of really cool seven-inch singles to collect. Um, mm. I think who, who was showing those earlier? Was that you, Andrew? Uh, Andrew was from from uh, well, the yeah, I mean, from have... the from that uh, Casablanca singles reissue set. Yeah. I mean, those are both German issues, but in the UK you have one of the ugliest singles um, from this <laughs> album, and I don't remember which single. I think it's Hard Luck Woman, um, whatever. But there are a ton of really cool singles from this, so you know, check out the discography page on Kiss Monster, and you can go through those. And when Tom puts his book out, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of content about the various copies of the album, including the Korean with the songs omitted because of them being subversive. So, I think in, I think I heard February his book will be either out or available, or at least Volume One, right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. So he's working on it. I mean, there's so much stuff in that book. So 
Yeah, uh, the, the first 900 pages should be ready for people by then. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that, is, that is such a monstrous task to be, be cool. taking on. It is going to be really fun. If you think about what we – we're going off topic here, but some of the books that are coming out in you know probably, hopefully the next year, Ross's Magic – Mm-hmm. which well, if, if you're following yeah, that on Facebook yeah. and you've seen mm-hmm. some of the layouts that he's That's been cool. doing, yeah, it's pure drool material. And then you get into the vinyl collecting side and mm-hmm. you'll have Tom's book, which for for the geeks, and I, I don't know, I haven't seen any samples or any of his work. I'm hoping he's got some pretty layouts, um, you know, with which to kind of really showcase some of the extremely cool stuff that is out there. But we'll have to I haven't it. seen the, I haven't seen the layouts of his book, but uh, a lot of his artwork that he's using for his book, as far as the the album sleeves or the album labels, that's the stuff that was used on Kiss My Wax. So he's got a lot of cool stuff in there. But uh, as far as layouts, I haven't seen anything. I just saw the artwork that was going to be used for the layouts. And then at the uh, Kiss Cruise, Big John Hart also said that he may be putting out a book, working with a, with, with a with a writer on that. So. Obviously, he was a seminal figure during the 70s for the band, and up to I think he came back at Crazy Nights to work with them. So, you know, there, there's a ton of stuff. I'll be putting out that that live. The, that's just a compilation, really, of newspaper reviews for people who want to get into the period and kind of read what people were writing about the shows at the time. You know, it's it's not a redo of Kiss Alive Forever, though it does fill in some of the gaps uh, mm-hmm. that we've learned about since that great book came out. But it, it's mm-hmm. it's more just newspaper stuff. So you know, there'll be a lot of and there's probably some stuff I haven't even mentioned that people are working on. So you know, a lot of cool oh, stuff coming. Yeah. All right, any final thoughts on Rock and Roll Over, or do we bring this to a wrap? I think we bring it to a wrap. I yep. just say one of the Ace's you know, greatest solos is on Dr. Love. I Agreed. think that's... The Binky fantastic. Solo. <laughs> right? That's the, that's the one where I think they're in the studio, and they said, do something like Binky would do. And Binky and there you go. Being, <laughs> being, it's it's uh, very cool. Being uh, a guy who did a lot of demos with the band, um, do you say anything about Bob Kulick and Mr. Speed? Nah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so you can find us on Facebook on the FAQ message board. If you listen to us on iTunes, we do appreciate a rating, feedback. We love your comments. We love your participation. I do want to thank everyone who participated in the MVP episode that Alex and I did Hi. on our own. Um, we got a lot of really cool responses to that. It was great to read everyone's stuff. So um, if you want to chime in on these mess- on these uh, postings with your thoughts about what is great about Rock and Rollover and is it rightfully at the pinnacle of the band's you know catalog for for you personally. So from Catboy from Ken. Hey, at least I used the right gender that time, right? Lonnie and wow. Mark. Don't assume my gender. <laughs> Dude. Is it because of the blue hair? Isn't that the wrong color? Should it be green? I mean, what the hell's the matter? You know what? Yeah. Or, I got a good off. Or, I got a good or did it go wrong? You. No, I got a good off-air story for you about that. Nice. Oh, you know what? Hey, I, actually, you know what? I'll share the story on air because it's actually a really wow. funny. Story. It's an exclusive. So, so, so you're like Ryan Lochte. You dyed your hair and then jumped in a pool, and chlorine reacted oh, with it and turned. No, it it's supposed to. It's supposed to be blue. I, I wanted it to be blue. But I saw Kiss two weeks ago in Connecticut, and I was at the uh, acoustic meet and greet set. And um, you know they're, they're playing, and Eric stops playing. And he goes, Andrew. Or did he say Little Andrew? No, he goes, Andrew. 
is your hair blue? Paul, Paul, is Andrew's hair blue? <laughs> I was like, yeah. He goes, why'd you do that? And I was like, uh, I don't know. I felt like it. He goes, okay. And then later, <laughs> and then later, he was like, "It should be green." It's, it's like for your character, Kiss Tribute, it should be green. I go, ah, I just wanted it to be blue. And then later on, I'm talking to my friend about it. I'm like, "Did you ever think that when we were little, listening to Kiss, that they would stop and say our names and like be like, hey, you know, my friends here, hey, this? Did you ever think that? So like, it blew my mind after it happened. And then, um, I, it's for some of you people that are friends with me on Facebook, you all know that every picture I have with Kiss, I look like a dork. So I was really hoping that this picture was going to be a good one. And thankfully, no, no, I thought it was, I thought it was a good one. But like when it happened, you know, Gene sees me, and Gene always calls me Paul McCartney. He grabbed my cheek and he grabbed it like really hard, and like I didn't know what I was doing for that second. Like he, I thought I was like trying, like I thought I was like wincing when he grabbed my cheek. I didn't really know what I was doing. So after the picture was over, I look back at Gene, I go, "Well, you fucked that up." <laughs> I mean, look, look, the picture turned out good but there was that moment where i was like this is number seven this one sucks too so you know there's there's actually even worse picture of me like this that i'm not gonna post anywhere i don't know why i did that but i did post it so post no it. no I, it'll never be posted post it so maybe to get up to get up to get over <laughs> it and put it in the past you have to share it it's so bad, <laughs> and and then it won't be embarrassing anymore. Really, trust it's, me on this. You know. All right, all right. Maybe I'll post it. Maybe I'll post it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for that story at the end, and uh, thank you all again, guys. And we will see you all next time. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the Kiss FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.